turn to the book of Micah, and we'll be in chapter number two tonight. Micah chapter number two. What you're going to see, Micah follows the pattern of, of uh, all the Old Testament prophets, but, but he does it in each chapter. Uh, he starts out with a pretty dreary report about the state of Israel, but then he offers up a hope, a hope far, far in the future, a hope that's really close for us, that was a far, far off for them. But, but uh, uh, so, so you got, when you study Micah, you got to get ready to dig through the tough stuff and then get really excited about what he's going to tell you at the end of the chapter. Because at the end of every chapter, he's got some really, really, really good news. And, and, and chapter two is no exception. And we saw in the first chapter that uh, Micah had announced the coming judgment, not only on the southern kingdom, but also on the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, the reason they were being judged was because they had become so terribly wicked. And in chapter 2, he's going to actually describe the specific sins that that make them as wicked as God saw them at this point. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the first part of this chapter. So go with me to chapter number two and look down at verse number one. And when you see that woe there, that's not a good thing. Whenever the Lord says woe, you'd better look out. And listen to what he says. He says, woe to those who devise iniquity, who think up ways to be evil. I mean, I'm amazed at how the human mind can devise such evil things. Woe to those who, who devise iniquity. And they lay in their beds, they work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it. They, they, they go to bed and they think, man, what evil can I do tomorrow? They get up in the morning and think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that guy. I'm going to do something really evil to, to better my estate. And and they do it because, look at what it says in the last part of this verse, because it is in the power of their hand. And you, you know, you wonder why God didn't say, I'm taking away that power. But he allows, we live in an age where God gives us choice. And if you choose to be evil and devise evil and you have the power to do it, then you're probably going to get away with it at least for a period of time until God brings down the hammer of judgment. You know, there are times when all of us on the spur of the moment do something that's evil. You back me into a corner pretty hard, and I promise you I'll lose my temper and say something to you I don't really mean. I'm not threatening you, but it's just the way I am, the way I'm made. That's really not an excuse, is it? Because it's wrong. You know, sometimes, give you another example, sometimes uh, we're pressed into a situation and it's easier to lie than tell the truth. And often what do we do? We lie. We might lie to keep from hurting somebody's feelings. I think maybe that's okay sometimes. But sometimes we lie just to get ourselves out of a fix. And that's not okay. But we don't sit on the bed and devise how we're going to do those evil things. It's because we're pressed in a situation and where flesh is weak and, and we do some things that, that we know we shouldn't do. 
but that doesn't mean we're not saved. But people who intentionally devise evil and do evil to others, I'm telling you, they're not saved. I don't care what they call themselves. Here were these wealthy Israelites, and when they went to bed at night and when they got up in the morning, they plotted evil against their fellow citizens of Israel. Really, you could say they're brothers and sisters. And really, who were they plotting against? When they were plotting that wickedness, they were plotting against God. And they had their powers in the hand, power, they had the power in their hand to, to plot that evil and to make that evil happen. In verse number two, they covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. They can't ever get enough. They can't ever get enough. They even go after the poor little middle-class guy, the, the poor man who has very little. Who's that remind you of the description of that evil that's going on in Israel? What individual does that remind you of? You remember Ahab the king? I mean, Ahab had everything. He had thousands of acres that he possessed himself. He had a he had this great palace. He had all of this gold. He had all of this wealth. He was married to a witch. I mean, so he, um, I guess, bad wife, bad life. <laughs> but anyway, he, he, he didn't, it wasn't enough for him. And here was this little guy, Naboth, who had this field that Ahab, Wanted more than anything else in the world. He wasn't satisfied with what he had. So him and his wife plotted as to how they could take that field from Naboth, and they took it and they killed Naboth. Did God let them get away with that? No. You know, it, we live in a country where greed abounds and wickedness abounds. I mean, if you got greed, you're going to have wickedness because people are going to plot to do evil. I mean, I look at the corporations in America, and they are just like Ahab. They can never get enough. Walmarts. Now, you, we'll leave it on the tape. I might get in trouble here. But Walmarts, they, they can't ever get enough. You know, I like Super One myself. I'll do a commercial on Super One. Vanessa will go with that. She, she works there. But I like Super One because I go in there, they're playing Christian music, there's a checker at every line, you know, I mean, I, 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 I can get in and get out and, and uh, it, you know, the prices are really about the same and some things are even cheaper. And even if they're more, I don't care because I can, I can get in there and get right out. Well, you know, they built that Walmart's up in Opelousas and, and uh, it was doing so well. You know what Walmart's did? They stuck one of their little mini stores right next door to it. They had a store like two miles away, a super Walmart's two miles away, but, but they wanted it all. And what they had wasn't enough. They didn't want Super One getting any of their market. Then they built, Super One built that store in Karen Crow, and it was a smash hit. What does Walmart do now? I don't know if you've noticed, next to the store in Karen Crow, they've opened a super Walmart's. I mean, they just kind of cannibalize themselves because people that go to Opelousas now go to Karen Crow, but but, and they're doing well, but, but uh, and I, I think Super One is still doing well there. 
But they can't ever get enough. They can't ever get enough. I mean, these corporations are so greedy, they could care less about the consequences of what they do. I mean, I saw this past week. You might have read in the news. Have you seen what's been going on in Venezuela and how these people are rioting against this communist government that's bringing their country down? Well, you know what Goldman Sachs did? They went out and bought billions of dollars of Venezuela's bonds to prop up this communist regime. That is evil. Here these people are giving their lives to try to change a bad situation and one of American corporations go in and, and uh, buy up their bonds. So hopefully they'll go bad on them and they'll never collect that money. But people plot evil. They constantly plot evil because enough is never enough. Those who love silver, Solomon says, will always desire more silver. They never get enough. In verse number three, therefore thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, against this people, against Israel, I am devising disaster. Anybody got the King James in here? What's the King James say? I'm devising what? Evil. I want you to think about that a minute. That's a, that's a pretty, puts you in a, a theological cauldron there. I mean, therefore says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster, which is what the New King James says, from which you cannot remove your necks. You're not going to escape it. Nor shall you walk haughtily before me anymore, for this is an evil time. Here's what God's saying right here. You guys are lying on your beds at night devising evil against your brothers and sisters. Well, guess what? I'm, he's not lying on his bed, but I'm devising evil against you. Now, do you understand the theological issue that raises? God is holy. He's righteous. God is love. How can God devise evil? I mean, that, 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 and that's really what the word, that is the Hebrew word for evil. So God's saying, I'm devising evil against you. I mean, holy God, loving God, devising evil against his own people. I mean, how can he do that? I mean, that, that, that raises some issues. And most modern theologians, if you listen to theologians speak after some disaster that strikes, say, in the United States of America, they say, hey, that can't, God has nothing to do with that because God cannot devise evil. God cannot, God is love. He could never allow anyone to die. He could never uh, allow some major storm to hit some city. God would never allow 9-11. God would not allow any of those things because God is love and God is good and God is not evil. But that puts you into another theological, theological problem because if God is God and he's sovereign, then he allows anything. If he's not in control of the weather on this earth and the storms that hit this earth, then he's not God. He, at least he's not the God that we read about in the Bible. The God who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. 
who has all power to stop anything, who created this universe, with it, spoke it into existence with his word. If he spoke the universe into existence with his word, he can stop a tsunami. He can stop a tornado. He can stop a hurricane. He can turn it on a dime if he wants to. He can do whatever he wants to do if he's sovereign. But we know God is sovereign. And that anything that happens, he permits it to happen or he causes it to happen. But how can God who is love and in whom is no darkness allow or cause evil? Here's the answer to that. Because what seems to be evil to us from God's standpoint is not evil. What seems to be unloving from our standpoint often is the very love of God. Case in point, look back at your text. Here's this nation of Israel in the days of Micah. And what does God say about them? This is an evil time. So God devises what we see as evil in order to end this evil time. It's actually the mercy of God. I mean, when Israel got wiped out, they were sacrificing their children on altars. They were engaged in all sorts of of homosexual and immoral sex. And they they were abusing their children. And they were not teaching, the. we're going to see here in a minute, they weren't raising their children in the Lord. They were doing everything they could to keep their children from the Lord. And so a generation was raised up that didn't know the Lord. And all they were becoming was fodder, were fodder for hell. And so God in his mercy says enough is enough. And I'm going to end this evil time. And so he used an evil people two evil armies, two evil kingdoms, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to come down and stop it. Look at America. I mean, if if that bozo over in North Korea lobs a nuclear weapon and it hits the United States, I'm going to tell you what, God has allowed it. It is in the will of God. I hope, hopefully that's not in the will of God. But if he wipes out some city, it's God's mercy on this country to stop an evil time. We live, let me tell you what, friends, we live in a very evil time. A very evil time. And at some point, when you start seeing people raising children in a homosexual relationship, and you start seeing people abusing children and killing children and giving the children no chance to ever know the Lord, God's going to put an end to it. I mean, our only hope in this country is some sort of revival, some sort of change of heart, and it might take a nuclear bomb hit the United States or some terrible, terrible terrorist act, even worse than 9-11. It might take that. Might take a tsunami. I don't know what it's going to take. Hopefully, we're not past that point where God will try to stop it without totally destroying us. But I can tell you right now, if Russia one day comes marching into the United States of America, let me tell you who sent them. 
the Lord sent them to stop what's going on in our country. He'll use evil people, evil armies, evil things to end an evil time. At verse number four. In that day, one shall take up a proverb against you and lament a bitter lamentation, saying, we are utterly destroyed. Now, you know, I don't want to discourage you tonight because I don't know we're there yet. But if God would utterly destroy Israel, all but a remnant, don't think he wouldn't do that to the United States of America. He has changed the heritage of my people. How he has removed it from me. I'm a, to a turncoat, he has divided our fields. See, Micah saw this vision and he saw Israel utterly destroyed. And he saw all their land turned over to pagans. Pagans who long ago had, had turned from the Lord. Why, why would the Lord allow that? To end an evil time amongst his people. To save his remnant. That's why he allowed it. I mean, that wasn't the heritage. Destruction wasn't the heritage that God had planned for Israel, was it? He had planned for them to be blessed above all people. All they had to do was live in a relationship with him according to his principles. Which are, are his principles bad? No, his commandments are good. They're for our good. But they came, became so wicked that he had no choice. Verse number five, therefore you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot to the assembly of the Lord. What he's saying there, when basically the tabernacle and the temple were the seat of government. That's where the genealogies were kept. And the, the allocation of land was determined by the genealogies. Remember in the year of Jubilee, everything reverted back to the, to, to the people who had been allocated the land and that was kept, those records were kept in the tabernacle. Well, once the tabernacle was destroyed, once the, the temple was destroyed, those records were gone. There was no way to allocate the land anymore. What was the Israel's response to Micah's prophecy? This is what their response, do not prattle. Don't babble at us. You say to those who prophesy. So at some point, they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return because they're not going to return insult for insult. In that day, Israel had several prophets on the scene, major prophets, speaking to a lot of people. We talked about some of the contemporaries of Micah, Isaiah and Amos and among others. There were a lot of prophets, a lot of strong men of God out there uh, prophesying. But the Israelites said, hey, don't prattle at us. Don't, don't give us your gib gibberish. Don't prophesy against us. Get out of here. And so what Micah says, in essence, is the same thing that Amos said. What did Amos say? He said, hey, we're not going mean, to return insult for insult. You guys shout us down. You kick us out of your cities. We're not going to re return evil for evil. But we're going to leave. And you're going to be left with a void and there's going to be a famine. Remember, Amos said there's going to be a famine for the word in the land, for the word of God. But was that going to change the outcome? Was that going to uh, 
change the fact that God was going to judge the land? No. You can kill the prophet. You can kill the messenger, but that doesn't change the message. Verse number seven, you who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? I mean, you get rid of the prophets, but you're not going to restrict the spirit of the Lord. Are these his doings? Yes, they're his doings. Do not my words do good for him who walks righteously or uprightly? Look, those who know the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. They understand, they see when a time is evil. They want that time to stop. They don't sit around devising evil, ways to mess over people. They don't do that. And we see that when they see this world that is, is just feeding on itself through selfishness, the, the remnant of God hears the word of God and says, hey, God, please stop this. It's getting out of hand. Stop it. Verse number eight, listen to what he says. Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. They've become an enemy against the Lord. They hated the Lord. They wouldn't say that, but they did. Look, it's not healthy to be an enemy of God. That's not healthy at all. You pull off the robe of the garment from those who trust you. In other words, you take, you take everything they have, and they pass by like men return from war. I mean, they lose everything, and, 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 and they're like men coming back from war. They're somber. They have a bitter attitude, and you've caused it. Not only that, the women of my people, you cast out from their pleasant homes. In other words, you take the homes of the widows. From their children, you have taken away my glory forever from their children. You know, one of the things that bothers me the most about the state of our country is how everything in the world is being done to keep the glory of the Lord away from the children. I'm going to tell you what, parents, if you don't raise your children in the Lord, nobody else is going to do it. They're not going to ever hear about the Lord other than as a byword or a curse word. I mean, everything has been done to remove the Lord from the public arena. I mean, you don't hear football players anymore saying, thank you, Jesus Christ. They get in trouble. They do that. You don't, you don't hear the name of Jesus named in any public schoolhouse. Man, you get in trouble, you name the name of Jesus in a public schoolhouse. I mean, it used to be the spelling books were, came from the Bible. But now you've taken away the glory of the Lord from the public arena and from the children. And the only people that are left to, to teach the children are the churches and the parents and and people don't take their kids to church. And let me tell you what, you're taking your kid to church you know, uh, on Sunday morning and going to Sunday school is not going to bring them up in the Lord. We have to raise our children in the Lord because it's not going to happen any other way. Yeah, churches help, but that's not enough. Verse number 10, arise and depart, for, for this is not your rest. In other words, hey, you think you're at ease, in Zion, but you're not. 
This time period you're in, this evil time, is not your rest. It is defiled. Your, this time is defiled. You've defiled the nation. And it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction. In verse number 11, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, of good times, of prosperity, even he would be a prattler to this people. And then he changes tune. We finish it up now. I told you it always ends up uh, on a good note in Micah. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. Now, then he tells you who all of you is. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Who's Jacob? My Jacob was a bad guy, but he loved the Lord. And all you Jacobs is what he's saying, hey, you still have a hope. I'm going to utterly destroy Israel, but you have a hope. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. Those of you who are of the spirit of Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. There, they shall make a loud noise. They'll be, you can, it'll be a roar of people because there will be so many people. Why would there be so many people? When you're talking about a remnant, you're talking about not talking about many people, are you? But there's been in every age, and I believe in almost every nation, there's been a remnant of people who love the Lord, who came to the Lord through faith. But rarely, if ever, has there been more than a remnant in any nation? You know, I agree with those people that say the United States is not a Christian nation and maybe has never been a Christian nation. We, we were founded on Christian principles, so from that respect, we are a Christian nation. But it's always been just a remnant of true believers here. It's always been like that. But you take every age of every nation and every remnant and you get them all together in glory and you can look over in Revelation chapter 4, you've got a big crowd. You've got a big crowd of believers. And then look at what he says as he, as he finishes up. He says, the one who breaks open will come before them. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. They will break out. The one who breaks open the way to life, the way to righteousness, the way to truth, the way to love. He's a king. He's the king of kings. And he will pass through the gate. What gate's he going to pass through? He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. And then he's going to pass through the eastern gate. He's shut up right now, but it's going to be no problem for him to go through it. He's going to pass through the eastern gate. And he's going to go out by it. And their king shall pass before them all, before the whole remnant. One day with your eyes, you're going to see God in the flesh. He's going to pass before you with the Lord at their head. Who is the king of kings? He's the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ. 
is its name. Man, I got to tell you, I look around this world and I see all the evil in this world. And I don't judge those people because except by the grace of God, there goes B. Do you ever ponder how fortunate you are to be part of the remnant of God? That is a great, great privilege. It only comes by grace. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. Amazing grace that God would save a wretch like me and you too. I mean, the fact that he drew us near to him and put us in a position where we chose to believe in Jesus Christ, but it was really his doing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be part of that glorious remnant that one day is going to be a great, glorious nation. Let me tell you what, you might not feel it tonight, but when the Lord passes before you one day in glory, you are going to be so grateful. And so at all that God would choose someone like you, someone like me. We are so, so blessed. But God wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. And he wants us to be part of his process of wooing more people into that fold so that one day they will see the Lord in glory too. Great and glorious day, not too far off. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the grace that you've given us, for the eternal life that you've given us, for the hope that you've given us, for the great future that you've given us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are so blessed. Lord, we know that you wish that none should perish. We're not blessed because of anything we've done. We're blessed because the way you've drawn us to your son in the way you've opened our eyes and opened our hearts to receive him as our Savior. Lord, we, we ask to be used in that process in this world as you woo others, as you pull others out of the pit, Lord, of destruction so that they too can become part of that great remnant that's going to be together with you in glory. Father, we just thank you for, for your grace. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.